Hello, hello, and welcome back to Cribs of the Corn Podcast. I am the great and powerful season two, Jay. You're not Jay. <gasps> what are you talking about? You're Mr. If we have somebody that's new starting to this, yeah. this episode, it's going to be really confusing. No, I am the great and powerful mystery. Yeah, I'm the scallywag Jay today. Ooh. And this is the season two finale. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, this has been, before we before we get into any of the season two ending stuff, let's do our top of house stuff. As some of you may have noticed, the Christmas episode had a slight malfunction. Yeah, but that's all in the past. But I just wanted to address it because uh, the thousands and thousands of listeners on this show may want to understand why one episode got published twice. <laughs> okay. We we, we uh, switched podcasters, like distributors, like hosting sites. Mm-hmm. And there was a small malfunction, so it got posted twice. Uh, some of you may have got it the first time around. Some of you may have not. So that's an overlap episode yeah, from one so, hosting site to another. Yeah. Uh, and as you may have... So that's that problem. And another thing you may have noticed, there's no intro music on this episode. Uh, as we switched, we kind of lost our intro file. But don't worry. Season three, we will have that fixed. These are all the bugs, you know, professional podcasts have to work out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you may notice ads on this episode. Uh, yeah, I don't know if there will be or will not be at this point in time, but you may notice them. So thank you. Uh, you don't have to listen to them. You can kind of just skip through them. Mm, just you know, push that 15 seconds forward button. Yeah. Depending on what platform you're listening on. Yeah. But yeah, just thank you guys. So we got, the, we got big enough where we can actually get a little bit of money off the ads. So And we're putting all that back into the show and stuff like that. And you can listen to the ad-free versions on Patreon. Yeah. If, if so, you choose. If they do bother you that much, you could just help us out a little bit that way. Yeah, three bucks a month. Yeah, then your money's not going to the man as much. And we just wanted to thank you guys for all your season, all this support. Yeah, for real. We just hit number one in Australia for Nature podcasts. We've been on the top of the charts for nature in the U.S. for a while now. And uh, we're always on the charts for science, too. Yeah. Uh, you think it's our Steve Irwin talk? Yeah, probably. Right. <laughs> is he Australian? Like, yes. Is he straight from there? Yes. I didn't know if he moved he here. He is the embody Moved here. All of his stuff was filmed there? Yeah, the Australian Wildlife Park. Okay, shoot. I didn't. Yeah, it's all in Australia. Shows how much I pay attention yeah. as a kid. Yeah, it's always in Australia. Okay. I don't know. He's just so big here. I don't yeah. Know. Do they realize how big he was here, too? I don't know. We'll have to ask some of our Australian listeners. Interesting. Uh, write in uh, Cribs of the Corn Podcast at gmail.com. Just write in and tell us if you, like, grown up in Australia, if Steve Irwin was as big a part. Like, to me, like, I cried for like two days when oh, he passed bad. away. Uh, but I was the kid that dragged snakes around and stuff like that. Yeah. Big pythons. <laughs> Did I ever tell you the story? This is such a tangent already, but what our season class, two yes. professional podcasters? What our class used to do in a psych. It was a psychology or sociology class. Did I ever tell you that story? He died when you were in, in college. No, high school. This oh, high school. Because I'm like I was in elementary. Yeah, no, was, we were in high school, probably freshmen, sophomores. I can't okay. remember. But and uh, I can't remember if it's psychology or sociology. Our teacher would have us uh, bring in a news article from like the week, and like at the top of the day, uh, like at the beginning of the week, we talk about whatever topic was the headline in the news. Oh yeah, we did. Me and you did talk about this. We'll go on. Okay. So uh, after Steve Irwin died, that was like we just said, "Oh, did you guys hear Steve Irwin died?" So we talked about it for like that week, and then the next week, and the next week, and for the rest of the year. 
every single time. The teacher had to stop doing it because the only thing we would bring up was Steve Irwin dying. That's the only thing we'd raise our hand and say, did you hear about Steve Irwin? We wouldn't bring up anything new. It was just somehow awful. it became, we never talked about it outside Your of class. Your class was awful. It was, we were, yeah, I know we played like psychological tricks. And then, and then one day I was later in the year, we found like a people magazine, whatever the article where Steve Irwin was on the front talking about his death. We brought it in and posted and hung it up in the classroom just to talk about it. And yeah, so he would say like, okay, so it's like headline news and uh, let me guess. I know what you guys are going to talk about, Steve Irwin. And I'd raise my hand and be like, no, actually, I got something new this week. Oh, what is it? Did you know that Steve Irwin passed away this week? And <laughs> just get into awful. it again. You're and, awful, oh, kids. Yeah. It was great. But it was off. Like, it was big news. Let us know how you guys yes. felt about Steve yes. Irwin. Yes. Curtis the Corn podcast at yeah. gmail.com. Yes. Uh, no, no spaces. No spaces. Our new Patreon member, Paul Garcia Jr. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. Welcome. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, appreciate you. Uh, you're going to hear some stuff on Patreon that's really special pertaining to this episode. And yeah, if anybody loves this series and wants more on the Loch Ness Monster, kinda, go to Patreon. You can get that for three bucks. Three bucks. A little side, little side info and adds more to the Loch Ness story. Yep. Uh, another thing, we have our live show coming up April 22nd, Middletown, Ohio, at Post Town Elementary. We're also doing that with Hillbilly Horror Stories. Mm-hmm. We're trying to do a live show there. Uh, you can get tickets in the link below if that's something that interests you. And once again, before we get into the main show, we have a new five-star review. And this one made me laugh so hard. Okay, I can't uh, wait to hear. I haven't heard it yet, so. So, if you have little kids in the car, just kind of skip over this for a minute. Okay. But it's from Tribal Citizen. The title is, I want this podcast inside my home! Exclamation. Hands down, this is one phenomenal podcast. Get ready for your science lesson here, too. Justin is extremely well-diversed in fisheries and wildlife. And Jay is like your friendly neighborhood mailman. But secretly, he's banging all your moms. <laughs> what? I like to think Justin looks like George Costanza, while Jay looks like Bubbles from Trailer Park Boys. Oh, I wish I did. Keep the show flowing. Currently a paid member of both Sasquatch Chronicles and The Confessionals. I say this because this show easily competes with these two. Mm. That is high remarks. Thank you so much. Yeah. What's his name again? Tribal Citizen. (gasps) Thanks. Tribal Citizen. That's my Oh, my gosh. Tried to do a Bubbles. Here, take my glasses. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, George Costanza is what he thinks I look like. I guess because you're ranting and raving. I, and he gets all angry. I like, definitely could see from the, the, the listener's point of view. If you've never looked at like up what we look like, I definitely could see that. Oh, yeah. Dad laughed so hard when I read that to him because he said the same thing about George Costanza. Really? Yeah. Because I have similar mannerisms. I, yeah. I can, verbal mannerisms. Verbal mannerisms. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like it. And I, what, what do, I guess I don't know where the bubbles part comes in, but I guess he's the same squamsh. You... You definitely are bubbles. Oh, and I do want to live in a shed. Ooh, there is something adding up here. I just don't have any kitties. I got a, I got a tortoise and a dog. And a dog. All right. Let's get to the main topic. And the, did we already say what it is? Mm-mm. Oh, wait, we might Did we? Did we? I don't know. I think know. we might have. We're professional that. podcasters. Yes. The Loch Ness Monster. Classic. Probably the second... Second most popular cryptid in the world. Mm-mm. Number one. I'm thinking Loch Ness is number one for sure. Second in the U.S. How about that? Yeah, probably. I don't even know. I think this is the number one cryptid in the world. And this is going to be 
the shallowest deep dive you will ever hear. That's is that an oxymoron? Yes, it is. I like it. Shallowest an, deep dive. You're an oxymoron. I am. No, because this is there's so much. So we're gonna talk about like the first actual description of Loch Ness monster is like 500 A.D. Okay. Uh, so there's almost 2,000 years of stuff about this thing. Close it in, yeah. It is. There's so much. There's so many studies. There are so many people involved. There are so many theories hmm. that we're going to do our best to kind of glance over but everything. Okay. And then at the end is where we're going to really get into like what possibilities and other creatures that have been documented in Loch Ness. Uh, and the DNA study, we're going to go deep into that. Ooh, science-y. Because uh, the eDNA, I did that. Right. And there's some weird stuff with the DNA study uh, with sturgeon. Oh, okay. So yeah, there's a couple species of sturgeon that live in the loch that weren't found in that study. Oh, that weren't even found there. Yeah, so we'll we'll talk about that in like four hours. Yeah. Uh, but it's just something that I think the study may have been flawed. Oh, okay. So you're just looking at evidence at that. Yeah, nothing to do with even the monster. No, right. Just the plane searching for it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about the lock itself because this is a very unique lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lock just means lake. Just so everybody at home knows. Uh, all of our world listeners, because it's weird to think about. We got to the size where we have like 60 countries listening in from around the planet. Isn't that weird? It is. Right. There's like 9,000 of you guys out there. Around this realm. So thank you guys again for your support. Uh, I did not think the show would be at the level it is. We're Now we're like being paid speakers at places. Like this is it, crazy. Thanks to you guys. Thanks to you guys. Like, it's all thanks to you. Literally, that's it. Yeah. So thank you very much. You're making this possible. Yeah. I mean, that's why we literally, that's all we do, like, two days out of the week now, which we love. It oh, doesn't we, feel like work. No. Uh, anyways, so the lock itself. So we're going to talk about inverse, or innerverse, which is, like, the, the dam. Oh, okay. And then the river Ness. I heard about the river Ness growing up forever, like, the, like Loch Ness Monster stuff. I That was, like, one of my first monster books. I'm a water monster person. Now, is that what feeds the lock or what exits the lock? Oh, gosh, you asked me. Now, I... I, I that's what exits the lock. Okay. Goes gotcha. to the ocean. Okay. So there's a dam at the end. Uh, it's only like the river Ness at the end between Loch Ness and the ocean is only like two miles long. Oh, that's pretty short. Yeah, I never knew that. That's what I was getting at. Is the river Ness, and hence Loch Ness is named from the river Ness. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so the Loch Ness takes its name from the river Ness, which flows from the loch's north end. The river's name probably derives from the old Celtic word meaning the roaring one. Ooh, okay. Uh, so it's a violent river. Yeah, William McCark, McCark, one of these names, <laughs> a name, William, in his book from 1893, okay. I'm not even going to try to pronounce, maybe I will for you guys, it's season. It's the end of season two. Yeah, give it a go. You Kark and Gorshans. Old Timers of the Highland Parish. Okay, so an old Scottish name. So yeah, he posted in his book, uh, recounts two Scottish legends that have been reported as the source of the name of the river. In the first uh, the va- first spring in the valley had been enchanted by Delhi the Druid for purity. It's just a lot. There is so much even with the name behind this thing. Okay. But yeah, so basically, a wizard created it, a pure drinking source, or a war created it. Oh, okay. 
nobody knows because everybody that even when like a thousand years ago everybody that even thought about naming this yeah had already been dead for a thousand years okay gotcha so who knows it's been here a long time it's been called the river ness okay uh bob would know we should we should we should have wrote a letter to bob the <laughs> mushroom bob was here that's true uh, he might have a cousin over there that would definitely know. There is one in Europe. Oh, see? So his mycelia network maybe told us how it got its name. I mean, like that. So it's weird. If you look, there's like a bunch of locks that are in a straight line with Loch Ness, and they all connect. Okay. Uh, so how the lock was formed is incredibly, like, it's weird. It's crazy. So Loch Ness is around the Great Glen Fault, which is a form line of weaknesses in the rocks that have been excavated by glacial erosion forming the Great Glen in the basin of... uh, (laughs) I love this name. Loch Lochie. Very creative. Uh, So these are the other lakes along this basin, but it's Loch Lochie, Loch Orkin, and Loch Ness. So these are all along a fault line? Yeah, they're in a straight line. If you look at this from the map, from the air, mm-hmm. it looks like it was man-built. 100%, like, it looks man-built, because it's not. It's not, though. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, because the very unique shape at the bottom of the lake is why it's not man-made. Okay. But if you just look from the air, and you're like, they're in a perfect straight line. Yeah. And you're like, what is going on? And the river's almost running in a straight line, which is weird for a river. So in Loch Ness, you go 30 feet from the shore... It's pretty much as deep as it gets. Yeah. And it may be six or 800 feet down. Straight down. So what happens is this fault line opened and created this giant channel. Yeah. So the bottom of Loch Ness is almost perfectly flat. The walls of Loch Ness are almost perfectly flat. And then the little shoreline is almost perfectly flat. So it's like it's cubed out. But that's exactly what you expect to see with plates. Or this, this fault line kind of pulling Separating. apart. So that's why these lakes are incredibly deep, incredibly old. And there's not a lot of structure. Well, I was going to say, have they stopped pulling yeah, it, apart? it stopped during the end of the last ice age. So these lakes aren't incredibly old either. Uh, but, I mean, they're about as old as the Great Lakes. Okay. So they can have very unique populations, and there's very low... We'll talk about the fish population here in a bit. Don't worry. I got fish stuff for Ooh, you. Oh, I can't wait. But the unique shape. So Loch Ness is, let's say, like 40 miles long. Okay. It's pretty much the same thing from start to finish. So, okay, got the same depth, same so, shape. So, yeah. Okay. You get what I'm painting for you? I know it's kind of hard for people at home. So imagine like a trench is dug. The right. walls are flat. So there's a little bit of shallow water shoreline, and then it's pretty much straight down to the bottom. It doesn't gently go like our lakes here in the U.S. and stuff like that. They haven't had time to erode to kind of form a more natural shape. It's almost like a big V cut into the ground. Not even a V. It's like, uh, like a... Like a U? A, yeah, like I, like I channel. Okay. Oh, okay. Like, yep. Gotcha. So it's it's super weird. So the the why this is important for a couple different reasons is there is not a lot of area to support wildlife. No structure or anything. That and there's no the amount of of surface water that produces like algae and planktonic mm. life is super low compared to the the actual volume of water. Gotcha. Because it's so deep and narrow. Yeah. So it's almost like a desert with uh. There's just not a lot of food. From the bottom of the food chain up. That makes so that makes sense because there's not enough surface area for like the sun to create, you know, uh, what's that called? Uh, yeah, the plankton. Bio life. Right, but yeah, yeah, uh, biomass. Biomass. There we go. Yeah, you knew it. it. So right off the rip, and we've I have heard this since I was a little kid. Like that's why the Loch Ness monster doesn't exist. 
because the amount of food for a creature of that size, blah, blah, blah. Can't support it. We're going to talk about some creatures at the end of this episode that scoff at that. The scientists that... Now, there's a lot of evidence pointing the Loch Ness Monster is not real. I'm not going to... You know, there's a lot of evidence pointing that it is real. Okay. But the scientists that use that as their argument bother me deeply. And this is stuff we talk about all the time. This is the whole point of this show is to educate you enough that we can have an educated conversation about this. Mm-hmm. Where there are reasons why the Loch Ness Monster may not be real. A creature not being able to sustain itself from the food source in here is not one of them. There are plenty of creatures that get that could get large and not eat a lot of food. So if you discount that, you're basically cherry-picking your own evidence. Yeah. Okay. And that's what always bothered me about science is that some scientists use just these, like we said, these big words. Yeah. Like they'll pull up all this information... Like, I think they were using seals, whales, and some high metabolism marine reptiles to show that why a giant animal couldn't live in there. Okay. Yeah, two of those are mammals. Yeah, they got to eat three or four times a day Yeah, and breathe constantly. Marine reptile are high metabolism marine reptiles. Mm-hmm. They're not saltwater crocodiles. Okay. And it's super cold. And now we actually, have, we'll get, once again, I keep saying it, we'll get into it later. But the lake is itself very, very cold. So, like, reptiles couldn't live in there. Well, we now know there was plesiosaurs, which are an ancient group of marine reptiles, mm-hmm. and some mosasaurs, which are a different order of marine reptiles, mm-hmm. that lived in cold water climates, fresh water, cold climates. Okay. So they adapt to that. There's turtles and stuff in the lock. So here in the U.S., we talk about the Great Lakes turtles. Yeah. So who's to say it's not a giant turtle? Uh, right, yeah. But I'm just saying... you know they can live there. Yeah. yeah. And they don't have to eat regularly, but... These are just already some things with Loch Ness. But the the shape of the lake is extremely important for understanding the possibility of what kinds of life could, could live in there. there. Okay. Okay. So we're painting the picture there. Yeah. And that's the whole point is just so you can make, you can pick your own thing. All right. So we're going to get into the water. And this is by the uh, editors of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Article history of Loch Ness's water should be a pretty reputable source, correct? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's the it's Encyclopedia Britannica. Right. Yeah. It's a book you could kill somebody with, <laughs> just by dropping it. Right. Yeah. So Loch Ness Lake, laying in the Highland Council area of Scotland, with a depth of seven hundred and eighty-eight feet, uh, and it's actually deeper than that now. So I okay. don't know what edition this is from this uh, the encyclopedia, but we just found a spot in Loch Ness, a channel inside the channel. Wow. That is like 1,001 feet. Dang. So how did they not find that before? It's really hard. This lake, we'll get into why the shape of this lake is very important. Okay. It can mess with radar. Not radar, sonar. Okay. It can cause reverb and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it can be very hard to get a very, very detailed picture. You need oceanic equipment. Gotcha. But you're in a small body in fresh water. Yeah, it's not an ocean. So it, it, it's it got some funkiness to it. Okay. Uh, where was I? Uh, the length is about 23 miles long. Loch Ness has the largest volume of fresh water in Great Britain. It lies in the Glenmore, or the Great Glen, like we talked about. Um it forms. It's a very important part of the waterway access to Scotland that the civil engineers uh, linked to the Cardonian Canal, which opened in 1822. The watershed of Loch Ness converts more than 700 square miles. Uh, so that means the watershed, all the water that feeds into the Loch Ness system. Yep. yep. Uh, and compresses several, or composed of several rivers, including the Orca and the Inric. 
the outflow of Loch Ness, which is the Monroe Fifth, or the at interverse. So yeah, it flows out of Loch Ness into the ocean. Okay. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of heat uh, in Loch Ness. The sharp rise and fall of the levels of the loch is one reason for the the scarcity of flora of the raw in the waters. So the little bit of shoreline they have may be dry. So aquatic plants don't really grow in Loch Ness. Okay. It's really like a dead lake. It yeah. looks like from the from the outside looking in, from especially from a U.S. or maybe an Australian or some other big lake from around the world. Mm-hmm. This is the the lakes of Scotland are extremely weird. Oh, it sounds like it already. Yeah, that's the whole point of the painting this picture is that these are not classic bodies of water that like most of the rest of the world is used to. Norm normally has. Growing up, when I started researching Loch Ness and stuff like that, that was the hardest problem for me. Is I've lived all, we live on the Great Lakes, we live on some of the the biggest lakes in the world. So trying to understand any other big lake that's not like that is very different. This is a, mm-hmm. a completely different environment than Lake Erie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so just it talks more about those. Um, it's really rare for the temperatures to in Loch Ness to ever exceed sixty eight degrees. Is that so? Or that's got to be Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit, yeah. yeah. A 20 degrees Celsius for our international listeners. Gotcha. Um, it sits at a 4,400 foot elevation. That's pretty high. Yeah, it's in a mountain range too. So well, it's the Scottish Highlands, right? Yeah. Okay, makes sense. It's the Scottish Highlands. Okay. Uh, fishing has dominated the traditional uh, economy. However, during the Highlands clearances, landlords forbade uh, thousands of of oh my gosh the the, the language during basically they banned in fishing in here because the lake was dying oh okay so you didn't want to take any of the fish this species out of there it yeah hurt the population at all so that's kind of the history with the water uh, its main use right now is kind of recreational but it's super cold so what are you gonna do in the heat of summer boat it barely gets above 68 degrees there are there are, we'll we'll talk about fish species and stuff and there's a little bit of uh of fishing a little bit of commercial fishing but pretty much it's just eels now. Oh, really? Yeah. Several species of eels call Loch Ness home. That's the only thing that, of the big fishes that we know about, besides sturgeon, but you can't touch sturgeon. Yeah. Pretty much sturgeon are endangered on the Everywhere. On the planet. On the planet, yeah. Uh, but you can't touch the sturgeon. But the eels that live there are pretty much the only big fish that can survive the low amount of food. Loch Ness has a lot of seasonal visitors, though. Oh, things migrating in and yeah. out. And now, didn't you say there was a dam? Yeah. Now, this ain't the only access, I guess, to the lock or what? It is, but fish get around it. I think there's fish ladders and stuff and salt. We'll talk about there's like salmon and trout that breed there. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm just trying to get a picture in my own head. Yeah. So if anybody, uh, I know, once again, I, I'm still trying to get used to our international audience. But here in the U.S., any rivers that have salmon and stuff breeding in them, we have these fish ladders installed. Yes. And that's a weird thing to say if you don't know what a fish ladder is. Right, a ladder. It is basically an aquatic ladder. Uh, it's a bunch of little boxes that are stacked on top of each other that kind of flow in and out of each other and raise up slowly. Mm-hmm. So a fish like a salmon or a trout can climb up these, or eels even use them, lamprey use them. Any any fish can pretty much use them. Mm-hmm. Sturgeon don't use them because sturgeon are massive. So if you have sturgeon you're wanting to get around, they do a bypass stream. Gotcha. Okay. And there may be bypass streams here too. Which are very small and narrow, aren't they? Yeah, but they get a little... I mean, they're deep-ish. Yeah. I mean, it's a six-foot, seven-foot sturgeon gets through them. Okay. Gotcha. 
I don't know if I've ever seen one of them in person. I've seen a couple of them in Michigan. Okay. Well, you're definitely way more experienced in that area. Yeah, I mean, I've, area I've been in and out of so many rivers in yeah. the U.S. I, I, don't, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen one in person, but there, pictures on it the matters, internet all the time. Yeah, it just, if it's a sturgeon breeding river and stuff like that. Gotcha. Uh, we're going to talk about the bentho structure next. Have I bored you yet? I don't, not yet. Okay. The bentho? Benthos. Benthos, okay. Big word for the day. It's a pelagic. You know what pelagic means? I do not. Open water. Okay. But like really open water. Okay. Like uh so like walleye in Lake Erie are considered a pelagic species. Okay, cuz they're never they don't they're never around structure. Makes sense. So <laughs> you cannot see in Loch Ness. It is always yeah. It's it's tea. It's very tannic rich. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's another thing. It's like you even yeah. Even well, without all the, you know, plant life, I guess in there. The plant life is what makes it clean. Oh, duh! That makes sense. So fault line. So once again, we're going to talk about benthos. The fault line structure, having wrought through the trench basin, is remarkably uh, uniform in depth. So we're talking about more Loch Ness stuff. With steep rocky walls that slope to a flat silt bed, the maximum depth of like around 750 feet was found by John, Sir John Murray, Benthological Survey in 1903, which varies a little from the depth of 745 feet. So before his record, the deepest point was 750 or 745, and he found 754. Okay, so yeah, barely he, any. Ten, nine feet. He found a spot that was nine feet deeper. It's no different. It's super uniform. Yeah. Uh, records during a heli- uh, hydro- oh my gosh, I was hydrological survey uh, and f- by the Loch Ness Project in 1991. The depth is second only recorded by Loch Moore, which is in the same stretch of rivers, of 1,017 feet. So there's that deep spot you were talking about. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it has several ma- or seven main rivers that feed into Loch Ness and over 100 streams. Oh, so that's a lot more that feeds into it than I thought. Yeah, it's it's a monster lake. Yeah, I mean, once again, we're biased being next to Lake Erie. Right, that's a whole that's other scale. ten thousand streams yeah. and probably a thousand rivers that feed into it. That's a whole different scale. It's I a, think it's, we're, a, it's an ocean. Yes, and we definitely take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Like we're just so used to it. So the lack of nutrients such as nitrates and phosphates is one important factor of the or is an important factor on these lands. The nitrates are an essential fertilizer for plant growth slash parentheses photosynthesis right which feeding grasses on the land and tiny algae in the water the amount of this primary productivity forms the base of the food chain so basically you need the nutrients and sunlight to make the food chain work uh this normally determines the amount of animal life they can habit the habitat can sustain in fact the lakes are sometimes derived uh, into two groups according to the amount of nutrients in them europic which is nutrient rich and I can I always hate this word, ogolithic, which is nutrient poor. Okay. Loch Ness is ogolithic. Just big words. It just means nutrient rich, nutrient poor. Yes. So Lake Erie would be europic. Nutrient rich. Yeah, it is. It's green. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got plenty of nutrients. We should send some to Loch Ness. Oh, for sure. Uh, but yeah, so Loch Ness is so large that in the summer warmth does not really change the temperatures. It, but this is a positive and a negative note for the populations little temperature variance so it doesn't really get cold in the winter either right yeah it's 
pretty much around the same temperature forever. Which makes sense because it's so deep and narrow. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, the modern use of water in Loch Ness is uh, pretty much for the, the electric reservoirs or the electric dams put on them. Uh, they generate a lot of electricity. And let's see. It funded, uh, if funded, oh, sorry, they're talking about building a, a better one. I don't like electric hydro dams because they destroy habitat. I was going to say that, yeah. I, there should be a way. I don't know how we haven't come up with that yet where it's it's way more sustainable and less like. Because it's easy to build a big dam. Right, exactly. Yeah. Any questions so far? Um, No, I mean, big, deep, straight. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's, it's been a Wait. half hour and we're not done talking about the lake. Yeah. So I hope this isn't too boring. This will not be as big as our Mothman series. <laughs> Let's hope not. But it's, that was grueling. it's going to be a lot. Yeah. But yeah, so that's just still, we still got more about the lake. But yeah, any what what's some highlights you've heard so far? Um, Reiterate for people. I think the uh, constant temperature that it's, you know, roughly the same all year round. And that's due to low surface area and yeah. high volume. Yep, high volume. So depth and... The depth is greater than the surface area for exchange of temperature. Mm-hmm. So Lake Erie is the exact opposite. It's super shallow and really wide. wide. Yep, yep. So we can get really cold and really hot. But fast. Yeah, it can really change fast. temperature pretty fast. Water, people don't understand this. Water does not like to change temperature. Mm-hmm. Oh, water can change fast. It can, but it doesn't like to. So oh, gotcha. The amount of energy you have to dump in mm-hmm. is relative to the amount of temperature change you need. And the amount of surface area you have is the e- allows makes it easier. Yeah, the energy exchange to happen quicker or slower. Yeah. So what else? Um, the low vegetation. That's a big factor, I think, too. Oh yeah. And I don't know if we touched it yet, but is it like a flowing lake? Like, does it? Yeah. Does so, the water move? Yep. Pretty quickly in it. Not not while you're in the lake. Okay. You probably won't notice any flow. Gotcha. But it is flowing. It's yeah, not there, like a standstill lake. Yeah. That deep trench we talked about—that thousand-foot trench. Yeah. It's probably the lake actually, the river moving through the lake. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so here in Ohio, or here in Michigan, well, we're not in Michigan, but in Michigan, Torch Lake, you can find the river in the lake yeah, and sit on it and cruise across the lake pretty quick. Under it. Yeah, but it's just the river. Mm-hmm. So the river still moves through the lake. It's it's really kind of weird to think about. Right. But um, that's probably the main highlights I'm picking up so far. Okay. Next is a really imp- another important factor. Maybe, depending on what you want to believe the Loch Ness Monster is, okay. if it's even real. Caves. Ooh, okay. So there is tons and tons of caves under Scotland that lead to the ocean. Okay. It looks like Swiss cheese. Hmm. So there are lots of cave main, or cave main entrances that are unmapped and interconnected into the lakes in the area. Loch Ness only ever had reports of saltwater plumes in it. It never fully got documented. Just reports? Yeah. Okay. And that's due to, in my belief, a major road being built around Loch Ness. Oh, okay. So we're going to talk about this. 
Uh, the A82 major route in Scotland runs from Glaswell to Inverse, which is where the Loch Ness dumps into the ocean. Okay. So this road was built through the 1920s and 1930s. So several things happened. They built this on the mountainside. They dynamited most of this road uh, to form to form this road. They dynamited you know the mountain away. Mm, so several things happened during this. The okay. saltwater plumes disappeared in Loch Ness. Oh, okay. Uh, the main reason we believe is that this uh, caused cave-ins. That's what I was going to say. The dynamite caused a cave-in underground. Secondly, these sightings in the 1920s and 30s exploded of so, Loch Ness. Scaring out monster. whatever's maybe Well, two two reasons for that. Yeah. What you're saying, yeah. The lake is like designed like, an, uh, like a hydrophone. So Ooh. it would ring the head of whatever is trying to stay at the bottom and make it go to the top. Yeah. So whether it's a sturgeon, a giant salamander, a plesiosaur, Anything. an eel, it doesn't want to be at the bottom anymore. Yeah. Because it's, it's like being at the bottom of a concert, like right next to the speaker, mm. for a creature that probably lived in peace for 99% of its life. I would say so, yeah. So that's <laughs> the other main thing. This is the first time you could see a big chunk of the lake from the road. Oh, because they just added this highway. Yeah, before you were in the forest right, yeah. the whole time. Makes sense. So the, this this road changed a lot of stuff. So if it's a seafaring creature, it's coming in with seasonal fish, mm-hmm. it's using the caves to get in and out, it's locked in or locked out. Right, one or the other, yeah. If it's not, if it's a freshwater animal, it's still, it still is changing stuff. Or it's ringing its head and it's making it go to the top. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And there's, the other caves have, so that's a big thing people are always like, there's never any documentation, proof that there are saltwater plumes or saltwater caves connecting to Loch Ness. That is true. Because it got destroyed before the mapping project at the end of the 40s. Gotcha. I was going to say, when did that start? other lakes in the area have saltwater plume caves in them. So there's no reason to say it wasn't connected? Or... It is foolish to say yeah. that it wasn't. It was the only well, it was the only lake in the area that didn't have a saltwater cave. Mm-hmm. The ocean is two miles away. It's not far. Yeah. Especially when the ground's already littered with caves. Now, do I think there is a, uh, a, a hump or a killer whale that road through the cave system to get into Loch Ness? No. Okay. That'd be a lot of air pockets and stuff like that. But there are still undocumented caves in the bottom of Loch Ness. I firmly believe it. Yeah, you can't rule it out. Yeah. And then, now, is there any chance there there is a cave still connected to the ocean, but you wouldn't get saltwater plumes? Is that possible? I mean, just depending on the orientation of it. You'd have to have tunnel. a lot of push of the fresh water going out. Right. I don't know if it... Maybe. Yeah, sure. Anything's possible. Yeah. The lake's a thousand feet deep. Exactly, yeah. Because I don't know if, like, you know how. And like we talked about earlier with the, the nutrients and stuff, the tannic acid. So tannic's what makes Michigan water brown, even though it's super clean okay. water. Yeah. The tannic acid from, uh, like, so the whole bottom of the lake is like peat moss, basically. Okay. And that's releasing tannic acid, it makes the tea lo- or it makes the lake look like tea. Right. Yeah. Like a like a. Chai, you can like you have like two tea. you have like two foot of visibility. Okay. In this lake, not good at all. And it's cold. Diving in Loch Ness sucks the whole time. Yeah, it doesn't sound very uh And there's appealing. nothing to see down there besides maybe the monster. Like there's no habitat, there's no there's no structure. Yeah, no fish structure, no fun stuff. Yeah. And not a mu- not a bunch of fish in, to begin with, right? Yeah. And I was wondering too, like, you know, you like on the back of your toilet how it has that little S shape and then it has that little air pocket. You know, what if a cave does that and leaves Do you remember it? the movie Atlantis, the Disney movie? Yeah, oh yeah. Remember that's what they were talking about. That's what they went in to get to Atlantis. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, yeah. They talked about that. Yeah, sure. There could be. Yeah, we don't we know. We don't know. We don't know. 
And that's the other thing saying if it's an air-breathing creature, that it may be using these caves. Oh, yeah. It could be hanging out in them. Yeah. It may never have to come up to the top. It's because it's got its own private air bubble. Yeah. Ah, see? We're piecing this together. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying... It's possibility. Yeah. We're throwing all the puzzle pieces out there. Oh, there's so much to this puzzle. Yeah. Okay. All right. You ready to get into some types of common life you can find in Loch Ness? Yeah. So we're gonna uh, we're just gonna go through the fish, anguilla, anguilla. Can we talk in like normal? Oh, the European terms? eel. Oh, okay. There we go. Much better. Uh, northern pike. Oh, okay. Esox lucris. What's that? The same northern pikes. Oh, gotcha. The European northern pikes. Uh, scientific name. Scientific name. And there's some evidence there's actually two species in Scotland of northern pike. Uh, Jeremy Wade did a whole episode on it. Interesting. Uh, they're probably the second species probably extinct because they used to have ones that get like sixty five inches. Good lord! But it, they don't have musky, so it's probably a subspecies or a, diff- a separate species that looks similar to northern pike, filling mm-hmm. that niche. Gotcha. Okay. Because northern pike are medium to apex predators in small bodies of water, in large bodies of water they are not apex predators. That would be the muskellunge here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. for the northern waters, mm-hmm. and they mirror very similar. You know, we have pretty much the same kind of fish or the same families. Oh, if you didn't know any better, you'd say one was the same. They were the same fish. One's just big. One's on steroids. I'm talking about just Europe, Europe lakes in uh, northern oh. U.S. lakes in general. Okay. We have the same families of fish. As the ones in Europe? Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, European sea sturgeon, Asipenser stereo. Okay. Uh, unconfirmed in the loch, but known from the Bentley Moray Fifth, uh, which is connected to the River Ness. So they are all over the area. So they're known to be in the river systems, just not in the loch itself. Yeah. Okay. Because the loch's a thousand feet deep. Right. Exactly. They swim on the bottom. Uh, I fished 200 feet with the camera and seen sturgeon just cruising by. They don't really? care. That's pretty sweet. Um, the three spine stickleback. Ooh, what's that? It's a little fish that has spines on its back, but this one has three spines. Oh, the Michigan has three spines, nine spines, and brook sticklebacks. Okay, but this is Gastroteus acidulus. <laughs> you can't tell me I'm wrong because you can't pronounce I it. I know exactly. The next one is brook lamprey, which is another species here in Ohio. Oh, nice. Okay. And uh, those are like eel, right? Yeah, they're jawless fish. Jawless fish. They're okay. like leeches mixed with fish. Ooh, they okay. are fish. Yeah, right. And that is uh, Lamprieta plantura. Ooh, I like that one. Mm. Eastern, or you're sorry, Eurasian minnows, which is Pharnix pharnix. Okay, just like your little common minnows? Yeah. Okay. And now here's some stuff that's coming from the ocean. These are our seasonal visitors. Atlantic salmon, Salmano starula. Sea trout, Salmano trotia. Brown trout, uh, or ferox trout, and that is Salmano trotia, Salmonix farcia. So these travel from the ocean? Mm-hmm. Okay. Brown trout can are, can be uh, androgynous, which is living in saltwater fre- and then coming into freshwater breed. And salmon too? Yeah, that's yeah, that's the salmon's whole deal. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. Yep, they breed in freshwater and they spend their most of their life in saltwater. The Great mm. Lakes, most of the salmon species, almost, almost all the salmon, true salmon species we have in the Great Lakes are introduced. Oh, okay. I don't know why I didn't know that before. Because they don't like to say that they're not native. Okay, makes sense. Uh, but yeah, so the Great Lakes are big enough that it tricks the salmon into thinking it's the open ocean. It's the open ocean. So they finish their life cycle. Most people don't realize this. Rainbow trout are salmon, not trout. 
fish are friends. Not food, except I have a whole bunch in my freezer. <laughs> Made me think of that for some reason. See, yeah. Why, why and don't... then uh, uh, full-time native is the Arctic char, which is another cousin of sal- – it is a salmonid, but it's a big-scale salmonid. So like we talked about here in the U.S., we have Arctic char in Michigan, but uh, like white, uh, white fish and stuff like that. Okay. They have big scales, but they are salmonids. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a, kind of a salmonid trait is having really tiny scales and feeling like catfish. Okay. But they do have scales. They're this other really group small. of salmonids has large scales. Like normal fish or like oversized scales? Re- like white fish have really big scales. Okay, I thought so. So it seems like they went the exact opposite, opposite way. Direction. Kind of like carp, how they have the big old yes. fat scales. Yeah. Okay. So these, uh, these are full-time residents and seasonal residents. So the salmon and the trout come in in seasonal abundance to breed in the streams that they basically come up the river Ness. Mm-hmm. They go through Loch Ness. They breed in the rivers and some die, some return. So this journey is so much shorter than the U.S. version Yeah, that a lot of these fish get to go back. Okay. They don't have to just... They're not like king salmon where they get all... So it's like uh, Atlantic salmon do get a like a, a nook to the jaw and stuff like that. But king salmon get a, such a crazy one and king salmon digest their stomachs. Oh, okay. Or the travel. So, like, they don't get a return. No, there's no coming back from that. Once you eat your own stomach, it's kind of But, like, game brown over. trout and stuff like that, sea trout, Atlantic salmon, they'll come back and forth. Well, like like we talked about earlier, it's only two miles from the ocean. That's and then you got to go through the lock, which is, like, 40 miles, and then you got to go into the stream. It's nothing compared to... I was like, going to say, it's literally nothing compared to... Uh, we have some salmon on the west coast that do, like, two to 3,000 miles. Don't we have some that come from the Gulf all the way up to Ohio? No. Oh, we don't? Okay. Mm, that's eels. Eels, that's what it was. I was saying, I, I thought they'll we do talked fi- about They'll this. do five or 6,000 miles. Gosh. But they, they're, they're, they're reverse. Androgynous. I can never, I just forgot the word. They're the exact opposite. Yeah. They'll they breed in the ocean, ocean and, and spend their adult life in, in fresh water. Yeah. Ain't that nuts? So these guys breed in fresh water and spend their adult life in the ocean. Complete opposite. So, but yeah, there's a lot of, so there's a lot of fish life that live here in, in Loch Ness full time. And there's a lot of that live in it part time. Okay. So if a creature wants to, if a creature's really good at storing food or storing fat, you fill up on the salmon runs. Mm, okay. I mean, that's what we look at, like brown bears and stuff like that. Yep, before hibernation. Or right after. Or right after. Yeah, yeah it, depends on which, it depends on which population of brown bears and which salmon species we're talking about. Okay. Like king salmon, they breed right before hibernation would start for these mammals. Okay. Uh, and then like... Atlantic salmon will breed pretty much all winter and end in the spring. Huh. So if you wake up in time, you can get there and fill up, right? Because when you wake up, you're really hungry. I bet. So that's a mammal that survives most of its protein every year off the salmon run. Now, a reptile, an amphibian, or a fish would do it a tenfold. You know, we talk about some reptiles, like, like uh, saltwater crocodiles. They're one of the big species of crocodiles that survived the mass extinction of the dinosaurs mm-hmm. because... They could eat like once every six, eight months. And just store that for a yeah. long time. Or yeah. live off it. Yeah. And amphibians do it too. Fish, that depends on what species of fish. Like some species of fish will starve to death very quickly. Mm-hmm. And others will just sit there and like burbot, yeah. uh, which are uh, the only freshwater cod in North America. I thought they were in Loch Ness, but I, never, I didn't see them pop up any of my list. Mm. But they are in Europe. Okay. There are similar fish to burbot at least, freshwater cod. They only move two to three... Uh, what is it? Twenty to thirty feet every three or four weeks. Oh, okay. That's not during the summer months. Far at all. They're pretty much in hibernation. Yeah, just sitting still. Huh. So, but did you learn anything about fish? 
Well, there's some species in there, but it's not like that biggest, widest diversity. And there are some smaller species I left out of this list. These are the main, like if I were to go do a fish survey in Loch Ness, these are kind of the group I'm looking for. Not like your little shiners and... No, they don't have many. Okay. It's Loch Ness. There's no habitat. Gotcha. There's no weed lines. There's no, you know, there's no big strict structures. Like when we would do like big fish surveys for the minnows, we wouldn't see many, now shatter about the exception. Uh, but we wouldn't see many minnows in open water, nothing like that, until we hit the weed lines and the stick lines and stuff like that. Then they'd all pop, is yeah. what it's called. It's, uh, they turn over on their side so you can net them. Mm, gotcha. Without that, think about it. The trout and stuff have amazing eyes. Salmon have amazing eyes. Mm-hmm. So if they're living there, they are going to smoke these things. Yeah, if pick, they're, yeah. Sticklebacks are spiny and poisonous. No one wants to eat them. Eurasian minnows are kind of like our shiners. Okay. So they're kind of they're filling in any niche they can. Another important thing to remember is that the salmon and trout that are breeding here in the streams around Loch Ness that are going up through Loch Ness to breed, it's called smolt. It's what their babies are called. Okay. So think of chicks or what baby chickens are called. Smolt or what baby salmonids are called. Okay. So they're going into they're living in the streams and the rivers and eventually working their way back out to the ocean. Okay. But they are spending some point of their life cycle. In Loch Ness. Right, in the Loch. I don't care what any biological survey says. They are. They are hard to catch. You cannot sample this lake conventionally due to its depth and its and its shape. It'd be a big net. You couldn't do it. <laughs> you could not have an 800-foot deep net and have it more than like four foot long. Yeah. Because we, we, we had nets that were six 700 feet long and they were five feet deep. Right. So, it so you would need opposite. an 800-foot deep net. Yeah. And one that's 800-foot long, you couldn't you couldn't work a net that big. No, it would take some very extreme engineering and ingenuity to make it work. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's crazy. Uh, the last thing we're going to kind of talk about this episode is the people that live around the lock. Oh, because uh, there have been people at least 4,000 years around Loch Ness. Okay. I see what you're saying now. Uh, but anything about fish before I move on to the people? Uh, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. We know what's in there uh, for the most part. And, yeah, nothing really too uh, – the only the interesting thing is probably the eel species that are in there, but that's pretty – So, yeah, European eels are the the bi- biggest, like, by proportion. And there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's some – like, conger eels live just two miles away, and they've been known to go into fresh water. Yeah. And they get massive. But we'll we'll bring them up later. I'm sure that we'll revisit the eels. Yeah, especially the the big boy that lives two miles down the road. Right, exactly. There is a 16-foot eel that lives two miles down the road. The one we talked about on Patreon? No. Oh, okay. He lives 40 miles down the road. Gotcha, okay. Uh, But Ukirk Castle, Uhurk, it's U R Q U. H A R T. Okay. How would you say that? Ukark. Ukark. Ukark Castle. Ukark? I don't know. Is a beautiful castle located on the northern shore of Loch Ness. The earliest written rec- records found of the existence of Ukark Castle dates back to around the uh, the 1200s. Okay. But scientists have found evidence that it's from the sixth century. That's a, that's like 500. Okay. Yeah. So in fact, people are almost certainly there 4,000 years ago. Or yeah. King Alexander II ruled Scotland during this time of peace in the early 13th century, but got interrupted by the uh, the revolution in the 1230s by the conqueror that managed to keep Ukirk Castle 
until his death in 1249. Edward I of England started a war with Scotland and ended in the 13th century. Much of Scotland belonged to England, including Yukert Castle. After years and years of battles between England and Scotland and between the Glens and the Grants, the castle went into ruins in the late 1600s and now belongs to the Scotland Trust. So this castle is still standing. Basically what they're getting mm. at is they think it's from the 600s. But could be way older. But there's evidence that there's at least people there's people living there in this area 4,000 years ago. Yeah. So the magic of the land of Loch Ness, a druid priest named Dali announced that his, uh, the, to his brethren that there was a blessed and enchanted healing well, which was located deep within the fertile and lush valley of, of like, so the Loch Ness Valley. Yeah. A sacred stone covered and protected this enchanted healing well. Daly warned that they should uh, the stones should be left uncovered by great conquesters who befell the land and its people. A long summer day, a young mother from the valley came into the well to fill her jug. Suddenly, she heard a cry of her child. Fearing her child was in danger, she ran to him. She had, in her haste, forgotten the warning that Delhi and had not replaced the stone covering of the sacred well. Oh, no. So this is just a druid story. Yeah, it's, which is very old. Yeah. Within seconds of her departure, and with great speed, the well began to overflow with water and began to gush through the valley. The people realized before their very eyes the valley itself was transforming. Waves were quickly replacing the landscape, which moments before held the abundance of both flora and fauna. Citizens climbed to the highlands for safety. Once safe, they looked down at the water and said in their native tongue, the rock is Mokunen, which is pronounced Loch Nish, mm. which transfers to the name. There is now a lake there. Mm. So they're saying the origins of the lake was from this well. A druid story. So that's right. like I mean, 4,000 years ago. Pre-written, uh, well, not pre-written history, but pretty dang close. I think it's pre-European is it European written history. It's pre-Vikings. It's, it's old. It's an old story. So the Vikings, I believe, are what replaced the druids. Oh, okay. Shoot, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. I just... What written history may say or suggest. But I don't know. But old story. So an old well that... You think that's just uh, folklore and fairy tale or... Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure this is a tectonic, like a, a plate movement. I mean, yeah. the, they're all in a giant line. So that's the information for F part one is just about the lock itself. So let's kind of go over what we have learned we still got about 10 minutes to fill. Okay. Professional podcasters, I'll leave that in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't edit anybody at home. We don't edit. What you hear is probably what we said. Yes, 100%. Um, no, so Loch Ness is extremely unique in shape and structure. Yes, check one off the list. Uh, it's The the shape is so crazy to me. Uh, and uh, One thing we didn't really cover, but this can cause havoc with the sonar is the shape. Uh, you can get double bounce offs of the walls and the floor and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to con- use deep sensing sonar in a valley. M- and that makes sense. Um, and somebody may say I'm wrong. All right, I understand, well, but I you, am not. If you are a sonar expert, or if you're a sonar expert, sure. If you know one, um, you're a shill. Send them our way. Crypt of the Corn podcast at gmail.com. Now, it'd be, it'd be interesting to hear from you, though, if you are out there listening by yeah. chance. We may have a sonar expert. I know we have like at least six or seven other biologists that listen. Yeah. And they've never yelled at me. So that's a good start. Yeah. 
Because so, yeah. I know it wouldn't work out for him. Any Because I am the great and powerful mystery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have power. <laughs> it's called a big shovel, and you will hunt them down. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Exactly. <laughs> Click. Uh, yeah, so it's it's extremely deep. The wildlife there is not super diverse, but some of the species that are present are present in great numbers. Okay. Uh, some of these spots of the lake, I completely imagine, are completely covered in eels on the bottom. Okay. Shoot, I don't even know how eels act in the wild. Like a pile of worms. Do they? Do they teeth. all like work together, kind of, or hang out together? Yeah, remember when we did the giant eel episode? We talked about them forming bridges and stuff like That's that. That's right, yeah. Okay. So they're not independent creatures, so yeah. They, oh. I mean, they can be. Eels can free swim, too, in the water column. Oh, yeah. Uh, they don't always hang on the bottom. They just kind of like to sit on the bottom a lot. And they will pile on top of each other. Imagine diving down into a big pile of eels, not realizing it. Oh, Zach Alley, I don't know if you're listening to this, but he's gotten uh, like photos of like these stick structures that are completely full of eels. Really? Like he'd grabbed a piece of stick, and was, there was more eel than stick in this pile of sticks. That's nuts. Because you know the well. Another thing, the lakes, the locks, not that visible. The visibility's the, way down. It's it, it in the shallow water. You may see two feet. And the open water, you don't see anything. So imagine if you're diving down, you just... You can have a humpback whale under you, like three foot under your boat, and you would never know. That's scary. So first off, for a monster, in fact, living in Loch Ness, you wouldn't know uh, at the very end, the very last thing we're going to cover in this little series, is probably what I think is the best modern documentation of the monster. And you can barely see it because it went shallow. Like, uh, uh, I'll post the video when that part of the episode comes out, but I'm going to show it to Jay. But you can kind of see it crawl along the bottom, out of the deep, into the shallow water. It's crazy to see that you couldn't see it four feet before, like, where it kind of crosses threshold. Yeah. This is not a very clear lake. It's a super cold lake in the summer. There's not a lot of swimming in this lake. I don't know if anybody is swimming in this lake. Um, Maybe psychopaths? A super ancient people lived here i mean at least four thousand years and that's hard to tell because how many wars have happened around loch ness right yeah the history of it was one thing but it keeps kind of getting accidentally overturned and we're not talking like we talk about sometimes like purposeful overturning of information stuff like that mm-hmm. this has just had so many people living on top the same area yeah that it's really hard to look at how old it actually is right and you don't know the environmental factors to that like chase either chase people out or just wreck entire communities that could have lived here. But. I mean, disease. I mean, yeah. the 1300s, the Black Plague. Anything, yes. Thousands of years. I bet you people have been here I for I think thousands. Scotland lost 60% of its population in the 1300s Dang. for the Black Plague. And that's just one chunk. So, like, a thousand years before that, you know. Who, yeah, so, but... A thousand years every, before Every catastrophe. 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 I speak perfect English. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, every catastrophe resets a chunk of history. Mm-hmm. Because there is, like, think about, like, what we know right now from just our local history. Now imagine 60% of the people died. What do we really know about Ada? Right, exactly. What do you mean you really know about Ada once that chunk of the population dies? 100%, yeah. Like, don't know what what came before it really at all. I mean, don't, yeah. You don't know. You don't know unless you find the old books that didn't get destroyed or something. All right. There's no, there's probably not a lot of printed, because keep my list before, the pr- printing press. Mm-hmm. So every book is handwritten. Yeah, and it's word of mouth, and I don't know, people moving in and out, stories changing, people dying, not sharing stories. 
you never know. Yeah. And that's just... So this whole first part, it's just to set up the incredible complexity of the lock, the lock system, and the people that live there. I know we really didn't go into the people a lot, but I just wanted to show you that there's been a lot of people here. I was going to say, probably the biggest takeaway from the people is just it's been occupied for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's probably the biggest takeaway. Yeah, so, and there's some castles, like we just talked about, on Loch Ness, that are over 1,000 years old and maybe close to 2,000 years old. And I don't know. That's a whole other story, but how the heck? Some of these castles are so big and intricate. How the heck they do that? Uh, With a whip? But this, some of the, like the stones and stuff are just gigantic. With a whip? I don't know. It's weird. I mean, you will be surprised how big a rock mean you could move if, if somebody's whipped. whipping us and then dipping our child into hot oil. <laughs> You'll move some pretty big rocks. Graphic content. <laughs> no, I guess I'm telling you, that's what motivation. Oh, yeah. I can see that. The hot oil, though. Like, good Lord. That's what they did. I believe it, too. I just didn't want that visual, like, thrust into my head. So this is part one of the Loch Ness Monster, the lock itself. Yes, specifically the lock. Uh, We will be back. uh, So this comes out on a Monday. We will be back Wednesday with part two of the Loch Ness Monster, and we're going to get into the Loch Ness Monster itself. Yes. All right. Once again, season finale, season two. Thank you guys for all your support. Uh, a year ago, we definitely did not think we'd be speakers at conferences uh, running a podcast that's internationally ranked. Yeah, thank you guys. Seriously, it's all, so it's all for you. I, it's yeah. all because of you. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. We will be back Wednesday with part two, The Loch Ness Monster. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.